Good morning, everybody. All right. Good to see you guys today. What a great time in the presence of God. Man, so good to be in church with all of you today. Hopefully you've had plenty of donuts, plenty of coffee, ready to get into the Word of God. We just got back from youth camp yesterday. It was an amazing time. Yeah. And uh, it was maybe three to 400 teenagers. Uh, obviously, a, a, you know, perfect picture of maturity and, and well, good behavior. Actually, they were great. Uh, they were great, and uh, I want to just really take some time and, and honor and thank Pastor Kyle and Kayla, our youth pastors. Yes, they they do a great job all throughout the whole year, but then camp is sort of this big culmination of uh, of everything, and it's just really awesome that they're dedicated, uh, even though they're raising their own kids and and their kids are in they're young and they running around and making messes. Amen. Uh, they're serving our youth, and uh, we've got now a teenager in the youth group, so we get to see firsthand. Evie's in there, and, uh, and this is her first year as a, as a student at camp, as a camper, and it was a rude awakening. And uh, <laughs> No, she did great, but, but we just have an incredible team of youth pastors and, and youth leaders. They had a, a, a different youth leaders that were there serving, so let's just thank our youth pastors, our youth leaders. Thank you guys so much. Good job. We don't want it to be a thankless job. We want it to be a thanked job, right? And uh, we appreciate them. We're moving forward in our series, Three Hots and a Cot. We're talking about the prison epistles. These were letters written to churches from the Apostle Paul while he was in prison uh, from AD 60 to AD 62. He wrote four letters to these churches or regions, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And we've been in the, the book of Ephesians. How many of you, God's been speaking to you through this series and maybe some, some meat coming out in these, uh, in these sermons? That's awesome. There's like two people have been receiving and it was all for you. Come on. No, I, I've been getting a lot out of this, just studying this and seeing the richness of God's word and how it's not locked on the pages of a book thousands of years ago, but how living and vibrant and relevant it is for my life, for us, for us as a church, even right now today in 2023. So we're moving on today. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. Starts in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Lord, I pray that today we'd be open to your word, that we would be good soil, that the seed of your word would be planted in and produce good fruit in our lives. We don't want to leave this place the same as we walked in. We want to hear your word. We want to obey your word. We want to walk in it. We want to be transformed into your image as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name, everybody set. Amen. Amen. Now, last week we talked about Ephesians 4 as the owner's manual of the church. Remember, we talked about that last week. If you weren't here last week, just be like, yeah, I remember that. That's awesome. I'm in church every week. Come on. Even in the summer. But we talked about the, the, this book, Ephesians 4, or this chapter, functioning as, as a picture of the owner's manual of the church. And we talked about last week how the mentors, the fivefold, the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, their job 
isn't to do the work of the ministry as much as it is to equip God's people, that's us, the church, the disciples, the Christians, to do the work of the ministry, and that's where maturity comes from. Maturity is not about head knowledge. Maturity is about taking what we learned in Christ and actually putting it into action. The Christian faith is not meant to remain as a book on a shelf, as an abstract concept, even as a construct of propositions of truth and a philosophy or a worldview, though it is those things, but it is to be lived out. And when the gospel is lived out by the people that have received that message and believed that message, it's an incredible witness. Come on, somebody. The gospel's meant to get to you. It's meant to get through you and impact the world around you. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so today we're going to continue this, this look into the owner's manual of the church, but we're going to go deeper as we see how this work of maturity creates in us a new reality. And today we're talking about out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new. The goal of salvation, the aim of the gospel, is not to get you to heaven. You're like, uh uh-oh. It is deeper than that. It is greater than that. The goal of salvation is not to get you into heaven. It's to get heaven into you. Do we get to go to heaven when we die? When Jesus comes back? Are we in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth? Yes. Praise the Lord. But that's not the whole point. In fact, I think it's missing the point to some degree because actually God wants to start his renovation inside of us. Come on, right now. I believe that many reasons why people don't receive the gospel or don't believe in the gospel is because we as Christians who are the carriers of this message are often not a living picture of how glorious the gospel is. Because if we're giving people this gospel that says, hey, if you pray a prayer in church, if you believe uh, these words about Jesus and you come and sing some songs in church and maybe go to small group once every six months or maybe give to the poor, whatever it is, you kind of do some of these Christian type religious things and you, when you go to the pearly gates and St. Peter's there, you can hand him your get out of jail free card, come on, and go to heaven. That's kind of pathetic, actually. Because what about right now? What about today? What are the benefits? What what is God doing? And here's what the real gospel is. No, he wants to get heaven into you. He wants to begin to transform you even today, even right now. He wants to set you free. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to equip you with a new purpose and ministry in life. Come on. He wants every day to be filled with purpose. We're not just waiting around for Jesus to show up and pull us out of Dodge. Actually, there's a war and we're taking place in it as God's people as God's kingdom, and we are bringing God's light, we're bringing God's truth, and bringing heaven into the world around us. We're participating in what God is already doing. And so the goal of salvation isn't just to get you to heaven, it's to get heaven into you. And this becomes, this means becoming more like God, where we look like our Father, where our paternity is reflected in the actual living, breathing experience that we have as Christians. His character and nature begins to be reflected in us. And this is the new self that Paul references in verse 24. In the direct quote, he says, as Christians, we are created to be like God, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, there are two parts to this, and really three. There's a two parts and then a transition period. And the first one is this. You gotta put off your old self. There is an old way of thinking. There is an old way of living. There is an old way of doing. The old and busted, come on. And then he wants to renew our minds and bring us into the new hotness. Old and busted, new hotness. It's a quote from, uh, I think that's from Men in Black. You were already getting it. You were prophetically receiving it, Maxell, yeah. 
He wants to help us get rid of that old busted life, get rid of that old sinful nature, that corrupt. We're going to talk about this, that falling into the trap again and again of living for deceitful desires and getting sucked into that. And it it always ends poorly for us. And we know that, but we keep going back, going back. But he wants to change how we think so we have a new operating system, a new way of thinking and bring us into a new self. You see, the Christian faith is incomplete when it's just about getting you out of sin. People are like, I just got to stop sinning, trying so hard working so hard to to stop doing all the bad stuff and working so hard to get out of the old. Well, actually, that's not really the point. Yeah, you got to get rid of the old, but what about what's new? What about the positive, proactive, purpose-filled life in Jesus? That is what we're after. That is what God wants to do inside of us. That's what we're talking about today. And we recently got a a new couch uh, set. We're actually, we just have the love seat. So Bethany, I've been cozying up on that you know, because we don't have the couch, so we got to sit right next to each other. It could be strategic. I don't know. <laughs> um, but we, we got this new uh, couch, and we had an old sectional in our, our house. And for a day or two, uh, we actually brought the new one in, and the old one was still there. And my kids loved it. They're like, it's like being at the movie theater because you had two couches. But it's only like a, maybe a 12 by 12 space or something. And it was so crowded. How many of you know when you want to get something new, the old thing has to go? The old couch has to go. And so we took it out, put it in the front yard, took some pictures, and sold that sucker on Facebook Marketplace. Come on, get rid of it. Get rid of it. When you get something new, you don't pile the old thing on top. And yet for many people, as they envision their spiritual life and envision their faith, envision their Christianity, they oftentimes are thinking about, here's the old busted couch, the old thing sitting in there. We need to get this new Christian thing, this new Jesus thing, and let's squeeze it in or set it on top. No. The way that Christianity works is you get rid of the old and bring in the new. And Paul goes on in verse 17. He says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. Come on, there's some weight behind this. Get rid of the old, bring in the new. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, Paul, as he's writing this letter historically... He's writing it to the region of Christians in a place called Ephesus in Asia Minor. Uh, Ephesus was a major cultural hub, a major trading port. They had a a cult to uh, Diana of the Ephesians or Artemis, and they had a a great silver trade to make these idols, and it was a a pretty happening city. And so all of these, the majority of these people that Paul's writing to are Gentiles. They were not culturally or historically or religiously Jewish people. They were Gentiles. And I'll say it in the nicest way possible. They were hedonistic pagans, right? My dad growing up, his insult of choice was, you uncircumcised Philistine, you know? (laughs) Well, that's what was going on here. These are hedonistic pagans. They're living for pleasure, living for self. They were deeply into sexual immorality, deeply into into, uh, worshiping idols. I mean, a bunch of stuff. And Paul says, that's where you came from, but that doesn't work out. You got to stop living. In fact, I insist that you get rid of that old pattern of thinking because it is futile. Now, this, this word futile, here's what it means. Incapable of producing any useful result. Pointless. It's like a Husky fan. Okay, you can come to the Big Ten with us. All right, come on. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. All right incapable of producing any useful result. This is actually me going out and playing the Huskies. If I was out there, they'd stomp me, okay? So let me, let me show some love. 
incapable of producing any useful result, pointless. You know, if you put me in a room with all the pieces, uh, all of the right tools, all the right equipment, all of the the building blocks of the Apollo spaceship program and said, you've got it all. You can build a a rocket, you can build a a shuttle, you can build the lunar lander. Jake, why don't you go to the moon? In fact, we're gonna give you all the pencils, all the paper, you can do the equations. We'll even give you the math books. Um, Let me just tell you who's not gonna get to the moon. It is futile. I am incapable of producing any result. It doesn't matter if I have everything that I needed right there. Now, look, Paul is just trying to say that way of thinking, you aren't going to get there from here. You're not going to get there from here. Apart from Christ, the way we think is futile. It produces no useful result. It is pointless. And where does it come from? It comes from a hard heart. See, how many of you know in life, many times figuring stuff out at an intellectual level is not hard. The problem is not that we don't know, it's that we don't want to know. We don't want to see. For many people, they're blinded, not because no one's ever been able to explain to them the truth of the Christian worldview in at least a relatively uh, cogent way, a clear way. It's that their hardness of heart blinds them to the truth. Paul talks about this in Romans 1. He says, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. You can see them by creation, that when we look at the world around us and the the glory and the majesty and the intricacy of design, that the first and most logical logical, uh, perspective is not to go, well, this must have all come from nothing. It must just be time plus slime plus chance. Actually, no. The first and logical perspective is to go, man, there must be something behind this And our hearts actually point us to that. But what happens when we harden our hearts and we say, I don't want to know, I don't want to listen, then our understanding gets darkened, we're separated from the life of God, and we're ignorant because our hearts are hard. This is why one of the prayers that we should often pray as Christians is, Lord, keep my heart soft. Lord Jesus, would you keep me flexible? Would you keep me humble? I want to stay low and have a soft heart and be sensitive to hear your voice. I want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, in all ways in my life because I want to I want, I want be able to see. I want to have the knowledge of God. I don't want to live in that futile way of thinking, that old way of thinking. So we got to keep our heart soft. And Paul goes on and he, and he describes the status or the state of existence of this old self, this old way of thinking and, and living. He says in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Can I just tell you, sin robs us of our sensitivity. It robs us of our humanity. Because if it is the case that we are created in the image of the living God, we are created for purpose and with purpose. Sin, scripturally, biblically, is to miss the mark. It's to say, I'm going to do that, not what I was designed to do, and I'm, I'm going to do not which keeps me in right relationship with God and right relationship with other people, but I'm going to believe a, a lie that I can find a path to fulfillment on my own outside of God's order and outside of God's crea- creation, outside of his law. And sin brings death. Sin brings death in our relationship with God. Sin brings death in our natural life. Sin brings death in our relationships with other people. And what ultimately happens is the more we engage in sin, it robs us of sensitivity. This was, uh, became clear to me. I was thinking about this when a few years ago, Bethany said, hey, why don't we do a month without sugar? Let's do like a sugar-free month. And I said, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. (laughs) 
she was like, no, Jake, I think we should, we should do this. And I was like, okay, maybe I hear the Holy Spirit here. How many ladies would be like, if my man would listen to me more, I'd be like, hearing the Holy Spirit, you know, just God's speaking to us sometimes, guys. And uh, we decided to do this. And a couple weeks in, I ate a carrot or something, and I was like, wow, <laughs> this is really good. One time, this is a little embarrassing, but I did a steak and eggs diet. I don't know if you've ever done that. You go, a diet, just don't worry about it. Just let's move on. But I did this diet where I was just going to eat steak and eggs, and my, I just craved a salad. I've never craved a salad before or since, to be, to be frank. <laughs> but after eating steak for like two weeks and eggs every day, I was like, please, Jesus, I just want some spinach. <laughs> and I had a salad, and it was so good. Now, back to this time when I, was, when I cut out junk food and cut out, cut out sugar, all of a sudden, the things that are naturally good, you know, carrots and having a salad and some of these types of things, and, and a good, you know, uh, well-seasoned but not crazy covered in barbecue sauce, chicken breast, you know, stuff like this, it was, it, all of a sudden, it, it, I recognized I'm so desensitized because of what this junk food has done to me, this sugar, this salt, it's taken away my ability to actually respond correctly to the right stimuli. And by, I had to remove it and get rid of it so that I could actually enjoy that which was nourishing to my body and good for me. That's exactly how sin works. You see, do you know that most sin is actually taking a God-given desire and saying, why don't you multiply it to a thousand and now that's what you need to feel happy, healthy, fulfilled. See, God says, hey, sex is good. I created it. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. God says, but it needs to be contained. This flame needs to be contained in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. And there's something about covenant and commitment. Hold on to this fire. Here's the container that it goes in so that the fire is wonderful, but it doesn't burn. And our society's like, a little fire is good. How about a lot? And we got a wildfire burning through the forest and people are evacuating their homes and there's destruction. And we're like, what's going on? Well, it's taking a God-given thing and saying, we don't need to do it God's way. Let's do it our way. And what happens is once you get connected to the high or the thrill of sin, it never is satisfied. It never says enough. Have you ever met somebody who has an issue with Sexual immorality, who's like, once a year, I just, you know, I put my time in with sexual immorality, and then the rest of the year, I'm good. Like, I don't even think about it anymore. Not how it works. Sin is a slippery slide. Sin takes you down. Sin says, if a little's good, a lot would be better. But what happens is you're desensitized, and you actually end up getting robbed of the thing God wanted to give you in the first place. And so we lose sensitivity. Then we give ourselves over to sensuality, which is like this living for the pleasure, living... Uh, a pedal to the metal and all of these desires, indulging in impurity, full of greed. It never satisfied. It's like the Hotel California. You can check out anytime you want, but you can't ever leave. Welcome to the hotel. And so our prayer is this. God, would you restore my sensitivity? Maybe even right now in this moment, you're going, I am desensitized. Like, I can't. I can't even have a normal sexual relationship with my spouse because I'm too addicted to the overindulgence in sex and porn. And right now, I just believe by the Spirit of God, he's going to set you free right now. Come on, receive it in Jesus' name. Because his promise is a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Come on, let's be sensitive to the Spirit.
Maybe you're so desensitized because you're, you're filling your life with social media. You're just, you're just all the time looking at everybody else's life and how you missed out and what's wrong. And right now, God wants to restore your sensitivity, that you would not be a slave to sensuality, but you would be connected to, to the right desires in the right time, in the right order, in the right magnitude. Come on, God, restore our sensitivity. Lord, that we'd be a people that can blush again and say, ooh, that's not, that is not from God. Lord, restore our sensitivity in Jesus' name, that we would be sensitive to your voice, we'd be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, sensitive to your will, sensitive to your ways, in Jesus' name. You know, listen, in in our culture right now, to be a Christian that's sensitive is, is like being the only person saying the emperor has no clothes. Because wherever I turn, people are telling me, oh, it's, it's, it's fine, you know, Watch whatever you want to watch. Listen to whatever you want to listen to. Engage in whatever type of behavior. You don't, you don't, you don't need to be in church every Sunday. Like, that's overkill. Man, let's be, I'd rather be overkill aiming at what God wants rather than always being so comfortable with sin and so comfortable with compromise. Because God can help correct you if you're a little too religious, but you, but you lose your life in sin. Come on. It's like pretty dangerous. All right. Or we could just be healthy. How about that? Healthy and balanced in our walk with the Lord, but I want to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. It's kind of a crazy idea, but what if Christians look different than people that weren't Christians? What if that were the case? I think that would be powerful. It would increase our witness. So God, increase my sensitivity. He goes on. He says that, however, that, that way of life, that's not, it's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. It's not what you were taught in him, accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He's the living water. He is the fulfillment of every desire inside of us. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. we got to put off this old way. Now, listen, how do we put off the old way? We don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it by working harder. We do it by trusting in Jesus and responding to his voice as he leads and guides us. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether you are like a Mac person or a, or a PC person. I personally am a Mac because I saw the commercial and to be cool, you have to be a Mac, right? Is that <laughs> anybody remember that commercial, right? I'm a Mac. I'm a PC. Nobody. Anyways, yeah. it was good. <laughs> well, I'm a Mac and I, I, I converted over to uh, being part of the cult of Apple or whatever, you know, and using I, iPhones and iPads and and uh, all the time, I get really frustrated because I'm becoming a technological troglodyte. Like, I am, I'm just falling behind. My kids know how to work everything. I'm like, Evie, could you turn the TV on? Uh, I need you to, to work on this. And I get all these notifications all the time. Like, you need to update your operating system. Anybody else? Like, there's a security threat. You know, hackers are coming at you. You're like, ah. You know, in movies, the hackers are always like, I think that's not actually what they're like in real life, but that's what I think of. And so I get a security update. You need to update your operating system. You got to update the, the, uh, to the, new, the newest level. And it's every day. And it's not just my computer. It's my, my iPad. It's my, my phone. And I'm starting to get pretty frustrated about this. I've been frustrated about it for years. Can I just can I tell you about this a little bit? Some of you are going to feel ministered to by this, I promise. At one point, my iPhone had a button. Do you remember this? This is novel idea. Like you push the button and it was like, get home. You know, you push that button 
And it would take you back to like the home screen and you could then send an email or go look about the ducks going to the Big Ten or whatever you wanted to do. Well, then one day they were like, you don't need it. We're going to update you to the newest phone. And now you have to literally know karate to use your phone. I remember reading a manual and I'm like trying to figure it out. They're like, hey, update to this new phone, upgrade. And I'm like, I don't want to. Don't take away my button. Can I just tell you right now, this iPad does not have a button. About 20 times a day, I poke at the bottom like, like hitting the screen like a monkey at the zoo. Do, 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 you know. It's not my fault though. They updated me. Somebody talked me into upgrading my iPad. And so now I literally had to play Fruit Ninja just to get who won the game. Like I just... I just want to use it. You can tell there's a little bit of frustration here. And I don't want to upgrade because I was comfortable with the way that it was. I, I, I don't want to learn Fruit Ninja. I think they made us play that game so we'd learn how to use these stupid phones. You want a conspiracy theory? There's a conspiracy theory right there. Because now you have to use gestures, you know, you have to turn into Harry Potter to use your phone. I don't want to do that. But it's bringing us into the new reality. And there's always these reminders. You've got to upgrade. You've got to update. Why? Because it'll give you better features and it'll protect you from what is out there to get you. Well, in Christ, we have an opportunity to upgrade and get a new operating system and to continue to stay fresh. And Jesus says, look, Maybe you're falling behind in technology, but when it comes to the kingdom of God and the things of God, you got to stay fresh and you got to be willing to let him continue to lead you, even as uncomfortable as it is, to continue to upgrade and update. And Jesus says it this way. You don't take a new wine and put it into old wineskins because it'll burst them. And see, God has a blessing for your life that is new wine, but he has to upgrade us in our operating system so it doesn't actually break what we are right now. Come on. And so we got to stay fresh in our thinking and say, Jesus, I, I am willing to let you upgrade me out of this old way of thinking, this futile old self. But here's the reality, though. Just like me with my devices and my buttons and, and I get used to a particular operating system, I'm telling you guys, I was good with Windows 95. Good. <laughs> dong, dong. You know that sound? Anybody play Rattler Race on Windows 95? Snake, you know? Boom. How many of you were good on that Nokia phone with that plain snake? You know what I mean? You could be driving down the freeway. Yeah. <laughs> plain snake. Some people are so confused. This is just ministering to a very specific group of people. And uh, I was comfortable. I was good with Windows 95, you know? And then they were like, nope, Windows XP, Windows 10. Now you're going to use an Apple and, and you can't even right click anymore. You know? And you're, what? I'm comfortable with my sin. I am comfortable with how I think. Can I tell you, I'm an expert in my own opinion. We get used to the old self. It's kind of like the old comfortable mattress. You know, you get your mattress and your booty has worn in that perfect space where you just, you and the Lord have such a moment every night. You're asleep and you're in that, you know what I mean? Some of you are more affluent. You upgrade your mattresses. Some of us, we get this. And you know, it's like, it's fit to you, right? So I, whenever I see ads for used mattresses, I'm like, nope. <laughs> I know it's not going to be, not going to fit me, right? It's not going to work. So you've, you're comfortable with this mattress. It fits you. you. You rest in it. It's almost like it was made for you until you find out that it's full of maggots <laughs> or infested with bed bugs. 
How many of you be up pretty quick out of bed? Well, that's actually exactly what Paul says here. He says, you were taught, put it off, upgrade, get uncomfortable for a moment. Why? Because of corruption and deceitful desires. This word corrupted, it means rotting, wasting away. It's like an active, putrefying decay. The, the, the coat that you put on is filled with, with dead flesh. It's like nasty, like get it off. If we could see spiritually what our old self actually looks like, we would be like, oh, help me, Jesus, now. I want out. I want, I want away from this. It's dead and rotting. He says that we need to get away from uh, deceitful desires. It looks good. It's like an apple. It looks good on the outside, but you bite in and you get a half a worm dig- diggling out of, your, out of your teeth. This is what sin does. Think about it. It's like, man, not, not really feeling the, the vibe here, so I'll go watch something I shouldn't watch on a computer, or I'm not really feeling the vibe here, so I'll go drink again, or, or whatever, whatever it is, or I'll give myself to go chasing money, or I'll give myself to chasing relationships, whatever it is, it's a deceitful desire, and it gets us every time. And so Jesus says, come on, upgrade your operating system. Come on, get that new security update. Don't, 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 don't stay comfortable And he describes how that works in verse 23. Paul says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the first thing that God has to do is he has to change how we think. He has to upgrade our mindset. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word renewing is like a continual upgrade, update, Well, I just installed Apple OS 12.3. Well, it's time for 12.4. As a Christian, you you embrace the cross, which means you embrace a life of staying uncomfortable. You can be satisfied, fulfilled, at rest in Jesus, but you're not going to be comfortable because there's always a next step with Jesus. Come on. It's a continual renewing of your mind. It's the battle on the inside that says, don't think like Jake and get tricked again by the apple with a worm in it. Why don't you begin to think like Jesus and say, I'm going to obey. I'm not going to fall into that deceitful desire again. I'm going to obey and say, I trust that you're going to fulfill me in your time and in your place and in your season and you have what's best for me. But the second thing that happens here is that it says we must put on the new self. There is a new reality, a new uh, character and likeness. You look like God. He says it this way that is You're created to be like God in true righteousness. This is right relationship, behavior, right way of thinking. Righteousness is to be right with God and right with other people. It's what we long for. We want to be right with God. We want to be right with each other and holiness being set apart. This is the new self, and it's not a gradual improvement. It's a complete wiping of the slate so that something completely new can take its place. Many of us remember where we were on September 9-11. Will you put up that picture, please? Thank you. And it was a terrible day. It was a tragedy, a great horrifying evil. I believe almost 3,000 people lost their lives that day. When the World Trade Centers were hit with those airplanes and there was explosions and fire and death, horrifying tragedy, it all came crashing down. And many of you will be familiar with these words, ground zero, because that's what they called this area was like the destruction and, the, and this brokenness and it all piled up here and it took months and months and months and months to go in and clear it out. I believe that's a picture of a sinful life. Our sin, our old way, it's not like, oops, no, it's, it's destructive. 
It hurts us, it hurts others, and it leaves a big mess. But listen, we didn't leave it like this. We didn't come in and say, well, let's just cover it up. Let's, let's, just, let's just act like it didn't happen. Let's just go to some counseling and hear some words, and then we don't have to get into that mess. We don't have to let anybody get in there. That's not what happened. Some dedicated people said, you know what? We're not going to leave this mess here. We're going to do something beautiful. We're going to get rid of the mess. You can go to the next picture, and we're going to do something beautiful. We're going to create a memorial that both celebrates and honors the, the dead and the lives that were lost, but is also a place of beauty and a place of refreshing, a place where you can go to look at what was once a place of destruction and pain and now see a place of healing and hope and a, and a future forward look. And this is a picture of what God wants to do in our lives. This is why it's worth it to go through the process of upgrading, why it's worth it to go through the process of what the scripture calls sanctification, because God wants to move tragedy and destruction and that mess out of you, not just so he can leave you bare, but so that he can put something beautiful in its place. This is why we go through this work. It's often difficult. It's often uncomfortable, but it's for our benefit where God takes the place of pain and dysfunction and destruction and putrefaction, corruption, deceitful desire, and all the wreckage of that way of thinking and living. And he says, if you will let me into the mess and you'll trust me with the mess, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build something beautiful in its place. And you get to put on this new self. You get to put on this new self where you were a sinner, but now you're a saint. Where you were lost, but now you're found. Where you were blind, but now you see and your heart's not hard and you're sensitive and you can actually taste and see the goodness of the Lord. This new self that God has for us is a person who is free, a person who is forgiven and is a part of God's family, who is made on purpose and for a purpose and who walks in the hope and the healing and the confidence of a child of God. I long for that. That's who I want to be. So I say, Jesus, out with the old, in with the new. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I pray that you would let it go into our hearts and minds and let there be fruit. Let us not cling to a hard heart. Let us not cling to what is comfortable but is ultimately corrupted. Let us instead humble ourselves before you and say, out with the old, in with the new. Jesus, whatever it takes, renovate my heart. Clean out ground zero all the deep parts of me, the pain, the, the waste, the brokenness, the broken relationships, the unforgiveness. Let it be cleansed. Let it be scoured down so there's nothing left of what is broken and shattered. Whatever it takes, let me get clean, God. Let me be, let me be a blank slate so you can create in me a new heart, renew a steadfast spirit in me, so that I can be that new self, that I can participate in the life that you have for me on purpose and for a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. If you bow your head and close your eyes just for a, a few seconds here, every week there's people that come to church looking for answers, for hope, for life. Maybe you don't even know what you're looking for, but I know that for me, for a lot of other people, we have found that hope, that truth in Jesus Christ. And it's only in him. It says in the scripture, he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father but through him. And so right now I want to give you an opportunity to start your journey of following Jesus. It means putting your trust and faith in him, saying, I'm going to give him my sins and trust that he's giving me eternal life. I'm going, to, I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. He becomes the boss. I'm going to follow him and trust that he gives me the grace to walk in his footsteps. If you're here today and you say, I want to put my faith in Jesus, would you just raise your hand so I can see? 
I'm not going to embarrass you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. I'm not going to call you out. just want to pray with you today. Come on, anybody else here today? I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me right with God. I repent of my sin and I trust in you. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.